This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 611 with Jory Rose. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 611. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Jory Rose is a licensed marriage and family therapist, mindfulness and meditation teacher, coach, author, speaker, and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world. Jory has helped thousands of people to live happier and more fulfilling lives through living with greater awareness and compassion, allowing them to decrease their stress, anxiety, and shed unhealthy habits, patterns, and mindsets. Jory is the host of the podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored the newly released A Year of Gratitude, Daily Moments of Reflection, Grace, and Thanks, as well as two mindfulness books, Squirmy Learns to Be Mindful and Mindfulness, It's Elementary. Jory has been featured in prominent media outlets such as OprahMag.com, NBCNews.com, Business Insider, KTLA News, and many more. I was recently a guest on Jory's podcast, and when the, in the first few minutes of our conversation, I knew I had to ask her to join us here, and I'm so happy that she said yes, because this was a fascinating and really important conversation into the importance of recognizing all the dynamics at play with multiple generations of our families. So listen in to hear Jory share how she's navigating this season of her teen daughters getting ready to leave home and the evolving framework of her shifting family the utter joy and devastation of your children growing up, how to recognize transgenerational patterns of over-enmeshment with your family, and how to start to build better boundaries, 
how her mom's family trauma led to transgenerational over-enmeshment and codependency, which was necessary for survival at one time, but highly dysfunctional over the course of generations. How she recognized her patterns of needing to create safety and security in order to quote-unquote be happy, why she had the courage to get divorced, and how she shifted the way she saw her entire world through adopting a mindfulness practice. I know you are going to find parts of this conversation riveting, so prepare your heads, prepare your hearts, and let's dive in with Jory Rose. Jory, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy that you're here today. Uh, Sarah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. So I have to tell everyone that you interviewed me a while ago and it was such a fun conversation. And so I've been like waiting for this because I'm ready for part two. This is just part two of some girlfriends having some chat. Yes, I know. Isn't that the best when you just have this conversation that feels like you are so aligned, you've been friends forever and it just flows. I had the best time talking with you. So I'm really thrilled to be talking with you again. Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. And you have to tell people what you're doing tonight as part of that. I'm going to, okay. (laughs) I'm going to out you. Okay. Well, um, for starters tonight, I am taking my almost 18 year old daughter to the Harry Styles concert, (laughs) which is kind of cracking me up because this was her 16th birthday present. So thank you COVID for allowing her 16th birthday to be postponed till her almost 18th birthday. Wow. Wow. (laughs) But I have to say, you know, as a mom, these are those moments, right? Like I, for a long time now have stopped getting my daughter's actual presence. They can really unwrap. And I'm so much about the experiences and whether it's a concert or a weekend getaway somewhere, we've done a couple weekend getaways with my girls who are both teenagers. They're almost 16 and almost 18. And so, yeah, you know, beyond my bio, what am I excited about? I am mom who is about to be entering into a a very interesting stage of my motherhood. And it's coming with a lot of grief, Sarah. I'm Mm. like, like the paradox of pure excitement and pride and like so much joy, my heart could burst and then like immense grief over change. Yeah. When we were talking about this, when I was interviewed for your show, because you were warning me, you were like, yes, (laughs) this is coming. So go ahead and tell people about the grief. Can I just tell you, like, I have had so many signs of the universe. I know I'm not the only one. And this really shifted for me when my awareness practice became a big part of how I got through some of my really hardships in my life. When I really was like, okay, universe, I need... Like I'm open, I am receiving, I'm aware, I'm paying attention. And when I started to do that, the signs of the universe just kept pouring in. And these synchronicities that are beyond unexplainable coincidences, right? So to give an image of what this paradox of joy and grief and like reality, a couple of weeks ago, I had the realization that I have about three months because my younger daughter, who's a sophomore in high school, is going away to Israel for the semester abroad starting at the end of January. And she's going to be in Israel for four months. And about a week after she comes home, my older daughter is going to be graduating high school and is then going to be home for about two weeks before she goes to camp as a counselor for almost the entire summer. 
And then she'll have about two weeks before she leaves for college. And we don't know yet where she's going to college, but she's not staying in California. She hasn't even applied anywhere in California, which I live in the Bay Area. She's going to be far. You know, her top two schools, one's in the Wisconsin and the other's in Massachusetts. So no matter what, my baby girl's going to be far away. So my awareness a couple nights ago was like, oh my God, I have three months before everything shifts of the three of us, because I'm divorced and have been for about seven years. And I've got about 80% custody of my girls of it just looking like this. And I have worked really hard as a mom in my mothering and in my parenting from before I was even pregnant. So I've taken this role of mom very intentionally. And it's one of my favorite things that I actually like to teach as a therapist and doing mindful parenting work. And my girls and I are really close. Like we People think we're sisters often. I look young for my age. They're mature for their ages. Our interactions are like girlfriends, yet I have the dual respect of the role of mom. So I'm in this beautiful sweet spot of it's like I live with my best friends and I yet get to be the mom and still have the role of authority and guidance and all the things that moms do. Well, I had this awareness like, oh my God, I've got three months and I burst into tears and I was tucking my younger daughter in. I started to spoon her and I called my older daughter in and I had her spoon me because she's taller Aww. than I am. So the three of us were lying in my daughter's bed and we were all crying. And it was like, my heart was just cracking open. I went to bed that night. Just, I couldn't stop crying. Well, mm. the next morning they were leaving for school. And of course I don't take them anymore. I've never had a carpool in my life. And so now not driving them to school feels weird. And yet yeah. kind of nice paradox, right? <laughs> All at the same time. Right, right. And they left for school and they opened the garage to leave and they closed it. And then I heard the garage open again because my daughter forgot something. And when I heard it open again, I heard something fall. Well, I've got a lot of artwork hanging in my garage because my previous house had more wall space. So all the things I didn't have room for and the walls in this house are hanging in my garage. Of all the things, Sarah, that I have hanging in my garage, would you want to guess what fell? Is it like an art piece from your one of your daughters or something super sentimental, which is going to now make me cry? <laughs> Sarah, what fell? And I've probably got over 10 pieces of framed stuff, pictures, art on my garage. The one thing that fell was a collage of photos of the three of us from when they were little. And of course, with like the spiritual signs that I get from the universe, I saw this picture on the ground and my heart cracked open again and I broke into sobbing tears. And I went to go pick it up. And by amazement, the glass didn't break, but what broke was the frame. And I tend to have a lot of mindful responses to things. And I tend to look for the symbolism and thing. And I just, I held this broken frame in my hand of looking at these pictures of me and my babies when they were like three and five and four and six and all those cute, perfect ages. And I thought, you know what? What holds us together has to change a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. it's the framework, like the frame of what holds us together, but the glass didn't break. We're not shattered, but our container is going to look a little bit different. Yeah. And it just, oh, I can't even like have the words to describe. And yet like simultaneous to this, I luckily have a full sense of self outside of my life as being a mom, which Mm. is something I really encourage my clients because this is one of the hard traps that moms get into is who am I? outside of my roles. Mm -hmm. And I know this was something you and I talked about, right? And 
I have a thriving business. I've got a relationship that I'm in love with my partner. We've been together for almost six years and, you know, have a, a beautiful future with him to look forward to. And yet holding space for, and right now, this is going to be really a hard transition. And yet yeah. I'm so excited for my girls to be launching because at their age, I did not have the courage or the availability to feel like I could spread my wings and fly. And my life would have been so different if I had. So I feel like a big pat on my own back of I've done something right to give them both the roots and the wings to go far and to know that, you know, our weekends of meeting somewhere in fun cities will be what it may look like for a few years. And that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so it's the paradox. So oh, always with the paradox I was walking. So we have these neighbor, our next door neighbors who, when they first moved in, they first moved in and they were just cool. And I was like, they're fun. And I want to be friends with them. And then they had a baby and I was like, and I want to like be their baby's godparent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a, and I actually was like joking at one point. I'm like, I'm going to just start taking pictures every time their kids outside playing. Like I'm going to take pictures of the window and then like send them to them. Cause I can see this like bird's eye view of their life. And their child is now three and I have a nine year old. So I can like look back and all, I don't remember three being hard. I see their son in the yard and I'm like, remember how magical it was now. I know in my rational brain, there was a lot of really hard days with the three-year-old, but Absolutely. it's like all I can think of. So we, they often are walking to school up the hill at the same time that we are in the morning. And the other day I was saying to the mom, I was like, oh, your little guy is looking so big. I can't handle it. And she's like, I know she's like, it's breaking my heart every single day. She's like, I can't take yeah. It's so devastating. And I was like, I know, like it's constant devastation. And I think we talked about this. You were interviewing yeah. me about like parenting is just constant grief and nobody tells you that. No. Well, and they talk about like the grief of the hard days or the grief right. of the tantrums or the sleepless nights. But the real grief is like, oh shit, you mean they grow up? Yeah. And like, you know, the intention of them growing is to go have their own life. And in fact, just last night, my daughters and I were talking about this around how it's never supposed to be a child's burden to try to be there for their parent, right? That's right. not the roles. And many of us, and me included, have been stuck in family dynamics in which that is part of the unspoken family rules of how you play the game of codependency or trauma and how that shows up. And, you know, I remember when my kids had gone away on a camp weekend years ago, they must have been like eight and 10 years old. And they went with a friend. And I was sitting with the mom of the friend waiting for the bus to come back on that Sunday. And the girls get off the bus and my friend's daughter had had the best time and she gets off the bus so excited. And she's like, Mom, I want to go to camp for the summer. Can I go? And the mom's immediate response was, Oh, no, I'd miss you too much. And I oh remember like kind of like smacking my friend on the shoulder with the back of my hand. I mean, right. like, this isn't about you. Right. You're like, I get like, it, but that's not the right response. <laughs> no, like don't make your child feel guilty for wanting to live right. their life. Right. Encourage them and, you know, be grateful that you have a child who wants to experience things. And if you're having a hard time about it, that's not her burden to carry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh. And so like, those are those grief moments. And part of the grief of it is because it's kind of a silent grief because it's a, who do you share that with? Right. Yeah. How do you show up authentically in owning that without making your child feel guilty for doing their job of growing up? Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, when Vinny was little, I had this joke that I still maintain, but it is totally a joke, but my, that I wanted to start a hashtag creating codependent kids. Yes, <laughs> You're like, and then I'm going to go to college with him. And then when he gets married, I'm going to live with him. And if he has babies, like I'm going to help raise like all these things where I was like, oh, I'll yeah. just be there for all of it. Like I will yes. be an equal partner in all of the things. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, just this past weekend, we came back from our second college tour whirlwind weekend. We were in Boston and the couple weeks ago we were in Chicago and Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm like, I am so jealous. Like, can I just come with you? Because I know I'll be your best friend. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could study together in this little cafe. Look yes, how cute I'll quiz is. you. I'll make flashcards for totally. you. <laughs> totally. So you brought uh, up boundaries the, a minute the, ago. You know, the grief is real. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the grief is so real. So real. And I appreciate, I feel like we just like started with something that just is going to crack everyone's hearts open. And now like, yeah. so now we, <laughs> what a grand starting place. So I want to talk, you mentioned boundaries. Yes. Um, you make made this, you alluded to boundaries and family patterns. And I want to talk about a bit about boundaries because I think this is uh, alongside with the devastation of raising children um, that we've already touched on. I think this is also something that is so relatable and so important. And we often don't see it when we're in it, but mm. when we take a step back or we have a therapist help us take a step back, we yes. can see this. So can you talk about breaking transgenerational patterns oh. of over enmeshment <laughs> and maybe explain what that is for people who are like, wait, what? So oh. transgenerational patterns of over enmeshment with your family. And then what did that look like with you? And how does that, where does the boundary conversation come into play? Oh, Sarah, I think you just turned the table and you're going to be my therapist for a few minutes. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm actually like massively at 43 years old, still in the thick of that. Mm. And it is something, can, I'm actually going to read you a quote. Can I read okay. you a quote? Yeah. I'm going to take a second. I know exactly where it is. I'm going to pull up this quote for you because I think this is a really powerful description of when we talk about transgenerational enmeshment to be able to recognize that what is occurring are these silent rules of a family system. Mm -hmm. And part of the challenge is when you are going to break any rule, there's going to be a consequence. Think even a break, your child is going to break a rule. There's a consequence as adults. And we are breaking the rules of our family of origin enmeshment. There's likely going to be a consequence. And for me and for what I teach in both, you know, all the therapy work that I do with my clients and the mindfulness work that's at the root of that is when you are out of alignment with your own authenticity, then your own consequence to maintaining as being part of that system is going to be worse, right? That being out of alignment, not being authentic is so painful. And so you've got to decide which is the harder thing to live yes. out of alignment or to break the family system rules. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So here's the quote that I want to read, and I don't know who the person is, but the person's name is R.D. Lang. And the quote says, they are playing a game. They are playing a game at not playing a game. If I show them, I see they are. I shall break the rules and they will punish me. I must play their game of not seeing I see the game. Mm. And I think that quote is so powerful because when we start, when we practice awareness, uh, to me, the root of everything I teach is awareness. I think awareness is the most brilliant and hardest thing ever because with awareness comes responsibility, right? So when we have awareness of a family system or a relational dynamic or system in which there's over enmeshment in an unhealthy way, taking you out of alignment, taking you out of your authenticity in which you are in an unhealthy way, putting someone else's needs higher than your own. With that awareness, to me requires the responsibility to ask yourself the question, now that I see that pattern, what is my conscious choice and how I want to respond to it? Because the unconscious pattern, the transgenerational, even trauma, you might say, the transgenerational Mm -hmm. enmeshment is that I ignore it for the greater good. Right. And one of the quotes that really changed my life is by Anaya Nin, who says, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in the bud was greater than the risk it took to blossom. Mm. So change is harder than staying stuck at some point. And yet staying stuck, we can't do once we're aware that we're so stuck. And so how do we break the patterns? Well, without awareness, you're never going to be able to even see it. And one of the things at the root of how to break those, you know, over enmeshment, transgenerational family systems is to understand how perhaps that enmeshment may have once served you or served the system, because you can't let go of something until you recognize how it once served you. Because when you can see how it maybe once served you or what's the greater purpose it served for the bit for the system, and then recognize those conditions aren't present for me right now then I have the freedom to consciously choose, okay, I see that. And how do I want to respond based on my current values? Yeah. You know, what are the things I aspire to be or that I want to bring more of that's important to me? And so there's going to be that consequence. If you are breaking that pattern, you are likely not going to be necessarily given an approval for not engaging in the unspoken rules of the system. Right. Can you give some examples of what this, what over enmeshment might look like and the transgenerational pattern of over enmeshment. What are some things that, because there might be things that come to mind, but I'm guessing there's also a bunch of things that maybe don't come to mind. And so 
Where yeah. do you see this? You know, uh, one of the ways I see this coming up in both personal experiences and what I see in a lot of my clients is what feels like an inability to say no. Mm, yeah. Even if it's as simple as turning down a family meal yeah. or wanting to choose a different plan for a holiday that you've always done that right now just doesn't feel good to you to do, mm-hmm. you know, or recognizing that you're showing up in a way in which you feel judged or you feel unseen, but you continue to show up because that's the expectation right? I think some of the patterns and how this shows up is feeling like I don't have a voice. Nothing I say is going to get heard or even worse. When I do use my voice, I get shamed or judged or dismissed or denied for sharing that voice where it's not a truth. And, you know, if you begin to recognize these patterns and say, okay, I'm going to show up in a new way. Well, once you try to make an individual choice, it's not going to go over very easily because there is the message of, well, this is what we do. This is what we've always done. Right. I remember years ago, my mom had sent an email to or a text to my brother, sister, and I, and had said, you know, something about getting together on Labor Day. And it was kind of like what we've always done. And I was not in a great space with my family at that point of just, you know, not feeling seen, heard, and validated, which for me was a, a familiar place to be. And so part of my own awareness path and practice in my own journey has been to what does it feel like to step into that authenticity Mm -hmm. and surround myself with where I do feel seen, heard, and validated. And so my mom sent this text, do you guys want to get together? My gut inside my body was like, no, I don't. I actually don't. And then I had to wrestle with, but do I have to? Right. And then I told my mom, you know what? I actually don't really want to, like, this doesn't feel good to me. And it resulted. can, Can we pause there for a second? Yeah, I feel like so many of us would or maybe have said made up some excuse or maybe even like a bit of a white lie to be like to make ourselves seem unavailable or like a bit of a story around like why this won't work versus saying like, I don't want to. There's a huge difference in that boundary. Can you talk a little bit about that choice behind that? I mean, it comes back to authenticity. Yeah, right. If I'm gonna speak my truth, then speaking my truth can't be another lie. Mm. And that was a practice for me. Everyone to say, feels called out right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> and you know, here's the thing, Sarah. I'm not saying this is easy. This is painful as all hell. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I have to sit with how do I feel confident going to bed at night that I was in alignment with my own truth. Now, that's not to say there isn't a lot of consideration in how to communicate that truth, right? I am very skilled in communication. And yet even that doesn't go over very well. Even when I was younger, like in my early 20s, I would have people in my life and I've had very, very few people that I actually have contentious relationships with. That's just not my nature. It's not, even with my enmeshment and my family of origin, we're not contentious. We're not combative. We're not argumentative. And So that's an unfamiliar relationship style to me, but I've always been very skilled in communication. So speaking my truth, even when it's been hard and yet, you know, I even get punished for that because then I get told that I'm too eloquent and it makes others feel Mm. like they're looked down upon. It's like, no, 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 no. This is just how I think. I'm not trying to sound better than it's, I'm just choosing my words very cautiously with awareness to hope that the intention in which I'm speaking gets received in the way that I hope, right? Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, so in that particular instance on that Labor Day weekend, when I said, you know, that doesn't feel good to me, my mom encouraged me, well, you're the mindfulness person, you're the therapist, why don't you go tell your brother and sister why that doesn't feel good to you? And guess what? I spoke my truth. And you know what? It wasn't received well. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. And, and in the midst of and that was things, probably right, still better than showing up on Labor Day and having to endure that day with them. A hundred percent. Like that's the trade-off, right? Like that's where you say like that point of like picking your pain and recognizing, well, this isn't going to be great either way. Like which one is going to be ultimately going to get me closer to what I need or want. And, and you know what, when my kids were younger, there was a mom at the elementary school who we would kind of, you know, acquaintances would say hi in the mornings and kind of wave to each other across the parking lot. And she one morning said to me, she goes, you know what, you're going to disappoint someone today. So just embrace it. <laughs> so then it became this joke where we'd see each other across the elementary school parking lot and we'd wave and be like, go disappoint someone today. Oh my God, that's so funny. And when we can recognize when we are preventing ourselves from disappointing others, but the implication is we continually disappoint ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's the trade-off, right? So the enmeshment comes when it's an unhealthy place for you to be in, but you feel stuck from speaking your truth. Right. And here's the thing. I grew up in a very, very enmeshed family and I get it. So this is the hard part too. Like I understand where the codependency and where the enmeshment came from and it's trauma-based. And so I have an immense amount of compassion for the trauma that resulted in this enmeshment. So you can see back to, I just want to like connect these dots for people listening. I'm guessing what you mean by that is that you can see what you alluded to before that you can see where this served a purpose at a certain point where this was like, for us to stay safe, there needs to be this, you know, potentially codependency enmeshment that we're not in that situation anymore. So we don't. I'll give you the exact, you know, the exact information. It's directly a result. My mom, when she was 16, her parents were killed in a car accident, hit by a drunk driver head on that my mom was in the accident as well. My mom had two younger brothers, 13 and seven, who were home alone while the accident happened at night. And her parents were instantly killed. She was the sole survivor. And she became the instant caretaker to her two younger brothers and her immigrant Russian grandparents moved into the house, but she was still very much, you know, caretaking her younger brothers. And she was 16 at the time of the accident. And she got married at 20 and had my sister at 21. Um, My sister and I are 10 years apart. I've got a brother in the middle. And my parents got divorced when I was three my dad commits suicide when I was 10. So those are like some of the bullet points of my family timeline, not to mention like, there's a lot more before that. Like my mom's Russian grandparents were kicked out of their village by the Bolsheviks. Like, you know, if you've seen Spiddler on the roof, like leaving the town, like that was my Mm -hmm. mother's grandparents. Like that is the family trauma and there's more in between. So Mm -hmm. the family trauma is a narrative of we suffer. And so I grew up, you know, raised by my mom. She didn't really share custody with my dad. That was a time in which, you know, kind of moms got the custody and you saw Mm -hmm. your dad every other weekend and summer and winter breaks kind of thing. And I knew from a very young age, I'll tell you how young I was. I knew when I would go have weekends at my dad's house and I must've been five or six or seven, I had the awareness to hide making a phone call to my mom because I didn't want to make my dad feel upset that I was calling my mom. 
And I also knew at that young of an age that I had to call her because she was worrying about me. Mm. And so you were I have taking her from a very young age. When I was six, the one real memory I have of my dad, he took me to Disneyland for the day. We lived in LA at the time. He took me to Disneyland for the whole day. And he did not tell my mom that he was taking me. And here I am six years old. I have an entire day at Disneyland. And do you want to know what I worried about that day? Your mom. My mom doesn't know where I am. And I had the burden of worrying about her worrying about me. That's enmeshment. I was not free to be a six-year-old girl and enjoy a day at Disneyland without the burden of worrying about how she was doing. Mm -hmm. And so being raised in a family in which the trauma was so real and I had so much compassion for it that I couldn't really fight against it. But I did recognize at some point growing up, maintaining those boundaries of enmeshment wasn't healthy for me. And it's not the kind of relationship I wanted my daughters to have with me. Yeah. And I've chosen to maintain some boundaries that my brother and sister don't. I think they're a little bit more ingrained in the enmeshment and the enabling of some of the dynamics. And I'm okay to be a little bit of a black sheep in Mm -hmm. order to shift the trajectory of my daughters moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So does that give it, make it more clear? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like? Those example. I mean, thank you for like those various levels of vulnerability to give those really clear examples, because I think that helps so much. And I think whenever we can connect stories and real lived yeah. experiences to, you know, therapy terminology, it just helps so much. And we can yes. see ourselves reflected in different ways to various levels. That was incredibly helpful. And also just really generous of you to share all that. Yeah. Thank you can for you- listening. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My honor. This episode is supported by my very own 2022 plan and prep pajama party. Okay. I'm going to tell you the brutal truth about 2021. Are you ready? 2021 was hard. We thought it wasn't going to be hard. We thought it was going to be better. It was still really hard. Like its predecessor 2020, it was often completely overwhelming and exhausting. It was full of false starts and at times false hope. It made us wonder what is true. Yet here is the truth from where I stand. 2021 made you stronger and more resilient and helped you see what matters most. You proved just how capable you are. And you know what? There is no turning back. So here's the brutal truth. You won 2021. You totally won. And you're going to win 2022. Big time. And that all starts with deciding who do you want to become in this new year? What do you want to do with this blank slate? It's going to be another year full of change, and growth and opportunities to evolve and adapt and pivot and shift and be nimble and creative and fumble because that's how every year is. (laughs) And also we're living in times that just really make that omnipresent. But even with all that, there's so much that you can control and there is so much that you can determine. And there's so much that you can create for yourself even when things are uncertain and even when there's lots of false starts and at times false hope. So what we're going to do is we're going to create some real hope and we're going to create some real starts and some real power for you when you come to my 2022 plan and prep pajama party. So my plan and prep pajama party, I've been running for four years now, and we start this session, this workshop with three modules. So we have three modules that I take you through over the course of three hours on Saturday, January 15th. And during our time together, you are going to identify how you want to feel in the new year 
and you're going to identify what you want to do in the new year. And you might not have a clue what that is just yet, but through the activities that we do in this workshop, you will get a much clearer sense of who you want to be in this new year and how you are going to become that version of yourself. So by the end of our time together, you will have a plan for your year, including a 90-day action plan where you will know exactly what action steps you're going to take in the first 90 days of 2022 to get your year off to a rockin' start. So if you're like, yes, please, I need some help. I need some focus. I need some clarity. I got you. Go to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party to get yourself signed up. That's shamelessmom.com slash pajama party. And when you pop over there right now, you can get in on our early bird registration, which is open for just a few more days if you're listening in live time and get the very best deal on registration. So go to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party, and I will see you on January 15th to kick off 2022. I want to talk, so you referenced this like budding flower and the bud versus the bloom and yes. like at some point deciding like this bud, like it's cozy in here and it's, there's, it's comfortable, but like if I stay, I never get to bloom. And at some point that stain in that bud becomes that quote unquote comfortable place becomes right. the more uncomfortable place than the other options. So you talk about you're a divorced mom. You got divorced yes. seven years ago, you said, and you talked about, you referenced your divorce, but you, I'm guessing there was a moment when you were that bud. And yes. I'm curious if you can talk about like, when you mentioned the bud in the bloom, I immediately was like, I want to know how this is connected to the divorce. Mm. So while you're being vulnerable about everything else, let's, dive into, let's dive into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit about you know, like, courage to get divorced, well, that courage so, to go from the bud. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I actually just the other day had this moment. I was actually on the tram from the car rental back to the airport terminal. And something in that moment, I literally had the thought of, I can't believe I had the courage to get divorced. I don't know what it was about that moment being on that tram, but you know, being raised in a family in which trauma and death was a reality and my fear of abandonment was really strong. And again, it wasn't based on what ifs it was based on, no, like bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I big bad things happen really big, unpredictably out of nowhere to the point where if my mom was, you know, literally two minutes late picking me up, I was convinced she was dead on the side of the road because Mm -hmm. that's what happens, right? My anxiety kept me very close to her. That's where our codependence came in because I think I needed her as much as she needed me. Mm -hmm. And what drove me was safety and security because in my mind, if I could create a predictable, safe world, then I'd be okay. 100%. And I had some magical thinking around what that looked like. And when I was 13... I started dating my ex-husband. We actually met, we were at camp counselors together at our synagogue. And we start, we met at, when I was 13, we started dating when I was 14 and we became best friends and we started going out my freshman year of high school and we never broke up. And at the time in high school, I was also quite overweight. And I thought, here's this nice Jewish boy who loves me. And this was like, you know, what you want, right? And my mom loved him and he was my best friend and it was easy. Mm-hmm. And we went off to separate colleges, but we stayed together. We were only about an hour and 15 minutes away from each other. I ended up graduating college a year early to catch up with him. Wow. I really did not make my college experience my own because I went to LA every single weekend I have regrets, but yet at the time they were my choices that no one could have convinced me otherwise because it was safety and security and predictable. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, we were together for 10 years before getting married. And so I got married at 24, had my first daughter at 25, my second daughter at 28. And I kept wanting to get to that next step. Like when we were in college, all I wanted to do was graduate. When we graduated, all I wanted to do was live together. When we lived together, all I wanted to do was get engaged. I mean, I was the poor guy. I had cut out a diamond by De Beers magazine (laughs) ad and put the De Beers like ad of like a diamond is forever on his computer monitor. Like as if he might forget that he might want to propose to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I kept thinking if I just get to that next step, then I'll be happy. Then I'll feel safe mm-hmm. and I'll feel more secure. So we got married. We had our first daughter. Then we had our second daughter. And in between that, we had bought our house. And I remember after having my second daughter, and it was soon after I turned 30 years old, I kind of woke up one day and I was like, I don't know what's next. Like I am where I'm at that I've been wanting to get to because I was under the belief if I had all of this safety and security, then I'd be happy. And the thing was, let me be really clear. I wasn't unhappy because I had a really blessed, beautiful life. Honestly, there was a lot that was missing in my marriage, but there was also a lot that was really wonderful in my marriage. But the parts that were missing is what made me feel unfulfilled. And I remember waking up one day in my early thirties and literally asking myself, how did I get here? I don't remember making the conscious choice. I just was like on the train of what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah. And it was like, now that I was at the end of that destination, I had my house, I had my kids, I had my marriage. I didn't know what was next. And I even remember at that time thinking the people I know now are going to be the only people I'll know the rest of my life, because where would I have an opportunity to like create a new circle of people? Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of went into what I called my one third life crisis because I was too young for it to be midlife. (laughs) And I had to figure out who I was because my identity was as wife and as mom. And I had had a master's degree in counseling psychology. I had actually started my hours to become a therapist, but about halfway through the 3000 hours, I realized I was miserable. And I realized part of it was I just didn't have the life experience. Well, I had lived through a lot of trauma. I hadn't lived through the resolution of trauma Mm, Yeah. to be able to authentically guide others in doing the same. Like I felt really unprepared and unskilled in how to help others because I realized I hadn't done that work for myself. Mm -hmm. So I stopped the hours and that's when I became a full-time stay-at-home mom, which I was so like beyond thrilled. Like those were the absolute best years. I wouldn't trade those for a single second. And it was when my daughter, my youngest was in kindergarten that I realized, okay, I need to figure out who I am. And I got myself into therapy and I realized at that very first therapy session, huh, like I kind of like this energetic space of the room. I think I want to go back for my hours to finish my licensure And I had contacted my old supervisor who I hadn't seen since my baby shower eight years earlier Mm -hmm. and asked if uh, she had any positions to take me on as an intern. And this was in January of that year. And she only worked with schools. So I thought I'd have to wait till September. Well, as the universe would have it, a school had come on mid-year. An intern was lined up for the position. They had dropped out the week before. I call out of nowhere and I was oh working gosh. the following week. Wow. And the irony was I had seen a book in her office titled Mindfulness. And I'd never even heard the word, but it intrigued me. And I asked her what mindfulness was. 
long story short, I started a week later, my first intro to mindfulness class. And I felt like, I don't know what this is, but I know I need to know more. Mm-hmm. And that started my trajectory of both my personal and professional path of both healing and growth. Mm. And ironically, the internship at the school I was at, it was a $25,000 a year uh, independent private school. And guess what? Those parents didn't want to use the free intern for therapy for their kids because they were sending their kids to the top therapist in town. So I got to actually really create the internship as my own. And what that looked like was I ended up teaching mindfulness to a K through eight school for four years. Wow. And along the way was delving into mindfulness curriculum to be trained in and did retreats and seminars and workshops and day longs. And I even did a five day silent Buddhist meditation retreat where we meditated for 16 hours a day. So like this was me doing the work because what I had realized, Sarah, my whole life was I lived in my head. Mm -hmm. I believed my thoughts. I didn't trust my body or my intuition. I didn't know that that held its value as my aligned authentic self. I thought my thoughts were my truth. I was stuck in fear and anxiety. And my mindfulness practice helped me for the first time in my life to slow down and to get out of my head and into my body and to connect with my breath and to figure out who I was outside of those roles. And I, along the way, developed a curriculum that I wanted to teach the mindfulness class that I wish I could have taken because at the time it was still a very esoteric practice and it wasn't very practical application for busy moms like me, like on the Buddhist meditation retreat I went on at the end of the week. Well, let me first off by saying, I think I was the only one who showed up in different clothes every day to sit and meditate. (laughs) Even the teacher wore the same sweatpants with a hole in his butt, like four of the five days we were there. And at the end of that retreat, they were saying, you know, upon re-entry, like be really grateful and thankful to the people who supported you to be here, like the people who watered your plants and watched your cat. And I'm like, okay, but I had to have like 17 people help me with my two kids for four days. You know, mm-hmm. I was the only like busy suburban mom in that group. And so I wanted to be the face of mindfulness that was relatable to those who weren't already meditating each day and who were living in these stressed, hurried, crazied lifestyles in which they thought that was normal, but were miserably unhappy and unfulfilled and disconnected from themselves and their relationships. And that's been my both personal and professional path. And so that journey allowed me to slow down, like I said, get out of my head, get into my body and to figure out who I really was and what I wanted my life to look like. And that came with some really, really hard choices. Yeah. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. So is it in that time that you were able to then shift your mindset away from this place of trying to create constant sense of security and stability, which is probably underneath that, like trying to run from fear and potentially anxiety to one of openness and possibility? Oh my gosh. So can I share with you a story? This was like my single most life-defining moment. I was on a retreat, which I have, the way I got to even this retreat was a series of serendipitous events that like the world was in perfect alignment for me to be able to even be on this retreat. I was in upstate New York with a guy named Dan Millman, who was well known for having written the book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which came out in the 80s and has been a spiritual journey for many people. And he's alive and kicking. He's in his 70s. He is an absolutely incredible spiritual teacher. And I was on this three-day retreat, and it was how to cultivate a peaceful, compassionate heart while developing a warrior spirit, right? How to stand in your truth. And the weekend culminated on the Sunday morning where he was teaching us some martial arts and we learned this martial arts routine and he put on Lionel Richie. And I thought like, how the hell did I get here? I'm in upstate New York on a Sunday morning with Dan Millman doing martial arts to listening to Lionel Richie. Like I was like this complete out of body experience. After we did that, he assembled us into partners of three and one person um, was you know, going to be across the room. And let's say you are across the room for me, Sarah, and you represent my long lost friend who I haven't seen in forever. And I start to walk towards you. Well, person number three of our little triad as I'm walking towards you throws their arm out at my chest, blocking me from getting to you. Mm. We had to go through this exercise a total of nine times because each person rotated each role. But what we had to do was that person who put their arm out blocking me from getting to you, what that person represented was self-doubt. And the first time we did it, self-doubt stopped us. The second time, self-doubt stopped us. The third time, we pushed past self-doubt to reach our goal. And I was then able to walk across the room and embrace my long lost friend. We had Mm -hmm. to play each of these roles so we could feel what it felt like to not reach our goal to be the self-doubt and to be on the receiving end of no one coming to you because self-doubt got you stuck. Yeah. That in and of itself was powerful. But then he assembled, Dan Millman assembled two cement blocks 
with a plastic board across the top and the board was an interlocking board. And he said that we were going to break a board. Is it okay if I swear on your show? Yes. Yes. Perfect. My immediate thought was I can't fucking break a board. Well, look at that. There was self-doubt right there. Mm -hmm. Before I could even understand what it meant to break a board, self-doubt was really present with me. So he told us that there was three different boards. There was one that was the equivalent weight of a real piece of wood. There was one lighter. There was one heavier. And we had to decide which board we wanted. And he was going to give us only one chance. So I don't like taking the easy way out for things. So I told myself, if I'm going to break a board, damn it, I'm going to break a board. So I'm going to do the one in the middle, the one that was the weight of a real piece of wood. So it was my turn. I'm kneeling down. I'm looking up at Dan Millman. He's telling me like where to hit it. He's telling me to breathe. And all that's going through my head is I can't do this. Mm. And it was like, I didn't even have a choice to invite self-doubt in. Self-doubt was just like there, uninvited, but really loud and obnoxious. (laughs) And I finally like take my deep breath. I raise my hand up and I don't break the board. And I was devastated, Sarah. I literally was like, see, told myself I couldn't do it. And Mm -hmm. I didn't. Well, in this group of about 60 people, there was only six of us who did not break the board. So my sense of shame was huge. After everyone went, he says, okay, raise your hand if you didn't break it. Of course, I shamefully held my hand up in the air. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. But you have to decide which board again you want to break. So which board do you think I chose a second time to try for? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Did you, you pick think the, I chose the, the lighter one? one or, do you, or do you think, which one do you think the lighter one or the one I did for the first time? I'm like cheering for you to pick the hard one again, but I'm wondering if you picked the one that you knew you could break. Nope. I chose the one that I started with. If I'm going to okay. do it, I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm not taking any easy way out. So here I am again, I'm kneeling down. I'm looking up at Dan Millman. He's telling me to breathe. And I realized two things I did wrong the first time. One was I hit in the wrong part of my hand. Cause I, my poor little pinky had turned purple. I was supposed to hit like in the meaty part of my hand, but I hit in my pinky. And it, mm. so I knew I logistically was doing the wrong thing, mm. but more importantly, I, I forgot to tell you one major important piece. There is the two cylinder, the cement blocks, the board across the top and underneath the board and between the two blocks was a purple meditation cushion. Mm. And he actually said, what do you think the goal is here to do? And we all are like, duh, you just told us the goal is to break a board. He said, no, 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 no. The goal isn't to break the board. The goal is to hit the cushion. He said, the cushion represents your goals and your dreams and the board simply represents your obstacles. So it was a symbolic of the exercise we did with the people a few moments before, right? Something getting in our way. So I realized that not only did I hit with the wrong part of my hand, I realized my entire like literal and energetic focus and gaze was on the board. This second time when I got up there again, I shifted my entire energy and focus and gaze to the cushion. And I realized the board was just simply in my way. So when I took that final breath, I literally told myself I can do this. And I said, my goal is to just hit the cushion. And I raised my arm up and I took my deep breath and I came back down and I broke through that board, Sarah, and I hit into that cushion and I like let out this huge yelp, like hands (laughs) in the air, screaming with pride. And that literally was the single most life-defining moment I had had because I realized that self-doubt no longer could stop me, that I literally pushed past that and that it was a choice from that moment forward, whether or not I allowed self-doubt 
and obstacles to get in the way of my goals and my dreams. Yeah. How, what a moment, what a profound moment, uh, like a lesson that you could just carry into everything else. Everything. And so like, I often will teach my clients mm-hmm. to like, ask them like, what's your board? What's your cushion? Yeah. Right. What are your obstacles? What are your goals? And totally. so for me, like that was the beginning. And then, you know, as a re- result of all of that and delving further into the work that I'd already begun with my mindfulness practice and meditation practice and all of the tools actually being applied rather than staying conceptual, I realized that my previous, this is the long answer to your question about fear and possibility that my life was so built on fear that I was raised in a belief that the future is scary because it's unknown. Mm -hmm. But the paradox was here. I was in the, in the present, I had everything known and I wasn't happy and I wasn't fulfilled. Right. I was happy, but I wasn't fulfilled. Right. Right. So to me, this mindset shift of pushing past self doubt, pushing past the belief that the future was scary because it was simply unknown Right. What emerged from that was the belief of like, oh my God, wait a second. The future is actually where possibility resides because I don't have that possibility here. So it must exist over there. So in order to get there, I've got to push past the self-doubt and the fear and recognize that fear was a narrative I was raised with mm-hmm. and it wasn't serving me anymore. And to like finish up that little story was when I flew home that weekend, my flight was delayed because the airport was getting shut down from the weather and a local airport had a soft, a hard landing of a plane, which means all the planes were diverted to this airport. And I was sitting on the tarmac about five and a half hours before we took off. Oh my gosh. And I realized about five hours into my five and a half hour delay, like, oh shit, I need to call my mom. She's going to be worried about me. Right. Same Mm -hmm. narrative. Mm -hmm. When I called her, And told her the plane had been delayed. She said something so simple to me, Sarah. She said, oh my God, Joy, you must be so frustrated. And I had just had this awareness to recognize where my enmeshment lied, which was I was in the habit of being so enmeshed that I would believe what she felt as my truth. And having just broken through this board, I actually had the ability to say, actually, mom, it is a frustrating situation and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. That was the first step of me disengaging that enmeshment yeah. and codependency to say, I'm separate than you. I have having my own experience and it's not what yours would be. Yes. Oh, so powerful. Yeah. Cause I think that we all, and it might be the nature of the mother daughter relationship, which is like a whole nother conversation, but we all can adopt some of those, like just little idiosyncratic thought patterns of a, probably of a primary caregiver. And that gets in our head. It stays there. And it's, they're the micro expressions. They're the little, like little, they're little and yet they hold so much power. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is so good, Joy. Okay. So we are getting close on time. I want to make sure that we can hear how do you work with people? Where can people find you? And what do you have coming up? Because I know that you have some cool yes. things coming up. And I know people are like, I need more of this. So. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. The best way to yeah. find me is at my website, joryrose.com. It's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E.com. And on Instagram at joryrose. And on Facebook, you can find me as well. And I'm starting in uh, January 11th, uh, the next cohort of my Journey Forward Method, which is an eight-week live course where I walk you through each step of creating um, not only a mindfulness practice, but practical application of what that awareness looks like. So you can really gain clarity on where you're stuck, 
and gain the tools, not only the science bath and the therapy-based tools, but the ones that I have worked with for 20 years with clients, that I know that the practices to get us to stay unstuck, they're learnable skills. Yeah. And so this journey forward method is starting on January 11th. And I think it's a great thing to start right after the new year, because, you know, people focus so much on New Year's you know, goals and things that they're wanting to have as resolutions. And you know what, to me, goals and resolutions are finite and they have an end goal that determines your success or your failure. And to me, this is about setting intentions to ask yourself, how do I want to be living my life? How do I want this day to look different than last year? And even if that's a 1% shift in something you're doing differently, whether it's your awareness or how you're showing up or those micro communication differences to draw a boundary, you know, we need to gain the tools to support us through gaining the awareness and feeling the support. So it's an amazing course. And I'm really excited for the next cohort to begin. Yay. So I will link that up in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, you can click through the episode with Joy Rose and get direct links to everything to her website, joyrose.com. And then tell us in one sentence how you've already given us so many great examples, but how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Role modeling to my daughters that whatever I feel is normal and natural and role modeling that the boundaries that have been in place are fluid and flexible, that Mm. nothing is set. And, you know, in the stuff that I'm working through personally, I am very open with my daughters and sharing where I'm at. I'm not a believer of being a stoic mom and not being authentic in what is arising in me. I role model that very authentically. And I believe that sets them on the trajectory to not be burdened with over enmeshment and transgenerational family patterns that they have no choice of breaking. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here, Jory. I so appreciate you taking the time. I know people Uh, are inspired from your stories and I'm looking forward to the next time we get to connect the next interview. Yes. Yes. And hopefully one day it'll be in person over dinner with uh, just hours of conversation. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Mamas, if you did not push pause in the middle of this episode to get yourself signed up for my plan and prep pajama party, go do that right now. Pop over to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party to get in on our best pricing, our early bird pricing right now. That's shamelessmom.com slash pajama party. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.